And the Grammy goes to Soja. The Grammy goes to Soja, the group you're listening to in the background here. I know a lot of people said they have never heard of them. Let's give a little peek. Give me something to believe in. I want to say a pleasant good afternoon to uh, my guests. This gentleman, I um, I asked him for a bio, and I was sent four pages of bio. So you know what? I'm not going to go into all of that because I will never finish. I'm, I had the pleasure of... Meeting this gentleman many moons ago. Many moons ago, I had the pleasure of meeting this man along with, I was introduced to him by Mr. Gary Steckles of uh, the Montreal Gazette, who was the entertainment manager, uh, editor at the time. And I'm still amazed he has a collection of uh, approximately 300,000 you know, I, I, one of these days, I'm going to print, get this printed in the community contact because just saying it is, uh, it's just not enough. He goes by the name sometimes as Ras, Ras Roja, Ras Roja. I hope I got that. I hope I got that right, Roger. How are you doing? Yes, Roger. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. I'm here with Dr. Dredd, the founder of Ross Records. Ah, Dr. Dredd. I, 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 he was in New York for a while and then he moved out or what? D.C. Oh, yeah, D.C. Yes. Where Soja was formed. And he, uh, the reason I wanted him to be with us today is he's been a house guest here all week, first of all. That's okay. He, he, No. 90s. Repeat that, repeat that, Roger. I, I lost you there. Oh, uh, Dr. Dredd was based in Washington, D.C., which is where Soja is from. So he has known this group since it was formed uh, uh, well over 20 years ago. Dr. Dredd, welcome to CKUT Radio McGill in good old Montreal. Yes, I've heard a lot about you. My brother, Tony Carr, told me quite a uh, stuff about you. And I remember at one time I came to Washington and it was a diamonds album. I think it was. And I, uh, and I had to go by wherever your store, not store office or whatever to collect that album. I never forgotten that. So, um, welcome, welcome. Now, if you, you, you know about, um, the good old, <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I don't know. This band seemed to have been around quite a while. And um, now, all of a sudden, there's this uproar in the Jamaican paper, the Jamaican news. I was reading the Observer and uh, some news uh, program on, um, not RGR, JBC, I think. And everybody is upset because um, they claim a white group won 
the Grammy. Gentlemen, what are your humble opinions on that? I, I'm speaking to two white guys, so somebody tell me. Well, you know, Soulja started out, like Roger said, in the suburbs of Washington, D.C. and Virginia, as, you know, some youth who grew their dreads out mm -hmm. and really got into reggae music. And, you know, over time, they built a pretty large following here in, you know, America, California, Brazil and Europe. And, you know, right now, the situation for reggae music is that a lot of the young white American youth who used to be into Bob, you know, and when our generation, right. were, we were into Bob Marley, got us into reggae, that a lot of these white American bands like Soja and Revolution are the ones that the young white kids uh, are relating to, you know, at the big music festivals. And I guess it finally came down this year that, you know, one of them went home with the Grammy. And I have, to be honest with you, I have no problem with that. I have truly have no problem. I am not going to tell you that I listened to them. I, I, I was introduced to them through the Grammy and through my original DJ. I had to call him in Jamaica. I said, tell me, tell me, tell me about it. And he sent me a couple of, couple of uh, slides. And believe you me, by the way, my, 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 Young, um, because I'm sure he's going to have some questions for you. He's sitting up in the corner there waiting on you guys. Uh, his name is Drew and, uh, we get to him after, but I, um, I see nothing wrong with the, uh, I don't know what the color of the skin has to do with the, the guitar or the, the drum. You know what I mean? So these guys, if they have worked, go ahead. It's a sign. Of, it's a sign of the times and what I believe as someone who's very connected to Jamaica and to Jamaican artists through right. my label, Ross Records, is that it's like, you know, a wake-up call. I hope you so. Know, if Jamaica wants to be, you know, on top of the reggae game, you know, they need to figure out what they need to do to be there because Bob Dylan said the times they are a-changing, <laughs> and they've certainly changed. But you know, I, I heard a guy made a point this morning and he said the only full, um, album that they had at the Grammy, the reggae awards was from Soldier. Everybody had three songs and two funky and one hip hop or whatever they're trying to do. And, um, so it, it that is one of the qualifications that I figured I, I would not have allowed them if they didn't have a reggae album. Well, usually uh, it has to be at least 51% right. of the album has to be reggae. And by the way, um, uh, he can talk with all the authority because he's been with the Grammy Awards as, as chairperson. I am the founder of the Reggae Grammy Committee at their request back in 1984. Uh -huh. And that was the year that Black Uhuru won. And uh, I was chairman of the committee for 27 years. And it went through a lot of changes in those days. And there was one point where we were listening to an awful lot of complaints uh, from people who said it should be Roots Reggae and also a category for... Uh, you know, dance hall, which is not 
roots reggae music, as as we know. Right. And uh, the the year that the committee and I decided that we would press really hard for a second category for reggae, we walked into the annual meeting and were told that they were going to dissolve the reggae committee completely because they didn't have enough records uh, for nomination in the category. Mm. So not only did we not get an extra category, we had to fight like hell all through that year to keep the committee going at all. And reggae is in such retreat around the world. We, we've just lost the reggae, uh, the billboard reggae charts. Wow. There's not, a, there's not enough sales of, of reggae music to keep a chart for it anymore. Wow. That's not good. Not good at all. No. Wow. Wow. You know, you know, um, I, you know, I, I know you, Roger, has been on the, 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 the lecture trail for years. Have you ever thought of going to Jamaica and just sit in one of them radio stations and explain to them what is happening with reggae music? Because it has no, the, 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 the gumption is not there. Pardon my word. But, um, um, you know, you're listening to some of these reggae music. I'm not saying everybody should be cultural reggae, but at least make the, the, the they're, they're pumping them out because of the drum machines and, and, and what have you, like nothing. I, do they still use musicians in Jamaica? I wonder. Well, they do. Yeah, some people do, but most of it is made with drum machines, like you say, and even with computers. But, you know, this is a trend in all popular music, mm. you know, where artists are, not even using real instruments. They're letting a computer, you know, generate the sounds that they sing on. And, you know, like Roger and I have talked about every generation, you know, wants to create their own musical identity. So the music our parents listen to, you know, we don't want to listen to that. Mm. So, you know, in, in some regards, you know, the mu music has to evolve and change. And, you know, Jamaica, just like they have great sprinters that win the Olympics, you know, they need to figure out, you know, how to get into a reggae groove that, you know, people in America will relate to. Because I think in Europe, Roger, aren't people still into roots reggae? Yeah, I think Europe is keeping the roots alive with the festivals that they have in Germany and the big Rototom festival in, in Spain. Uh, the, the acts that they bring to those festivals are primarily the remaining living people from the Rocksteady and, and early Roots Reggae era. But every generation, as Doc says, uh, needs their own people to reinterpret the eternal verities. And, uh, reggae is such a, an important message music. I hate to see it in eclipse. Uh, I don't have any, uh, you know, hard feelings about white people winning a reggae Grammy. Me, I really uh, don't care. I wish it had been somebody else. Uh, I, uh, there is a group uh, that I've known since they were in high school many, many years ago uh, from L.A., and they are called the Expanders. Expanders. And Doc didn't know about this group, and the other night I just played the record without telling him anything about who was singing. And Doc was going, hey, is, it, is that the Itals? No, wait a minute. It's, it's the Gladiators. Ah. Uh, no, it's Hell and Fire. 
Ah. <laughs> all these great roots people, you know. And I said, no, it's a bunch of white kids from the San Fernando Valley. Ah, look at that. And they cover the most obscure Jamaican roots music. And they sound like they live up in the Blue Mountains. And th th this is one of my favorite albums. I haven't stopped playing this in the past three years. Uh, the what, what's the name of it? Old Time Something Come Back Again. Old Time Something Come Back Again. Yes. Volume two. Uh, yeah, <laughs> and it's got some tracks you'd know, like Brutal Out There by the Itals and some other stuff, Walla Walla. Um, <laughs> and it's just, it, it's a fantastic interpretation of roots music that makes you live a better life and just feel good about yourself. Roger, would you say this is why um, the, the, the Grammy has accounted uh, for viewership because... Uh, especially where the, 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 the reggae is concerned, it's just not there anymore. The quality, the the oomph is not there anymore for reggae. So it's Reggae is part of the 80 categories that don't get any on-air uh, exposure at all. You know, we're up against polka and uh, classical Mexican music and all kinds of, you know, minor, minor fields. And then um, unless a reggae superstar appears with some big pop star, they're not going to give any blies to reggae on, on the on the broadcast at all. Uh, one of my listeners just said, uh, how come Gramps Morgan didn't win? I don't know. <laughs> well, well, people should be aware that, you know, the reggae, the committees of the Grammys, uh, whittle down all the entries to five people. Oh, no, no, they don't. No, they don't. What, what happened, um, was very recently they disband, they disbanded the, what they called the screening committees, which I was, uh, you know, I was the head of the reggae Grammy screening committee. And how it used to work is that the labels, people like Dr. Dredd would submit albums released in the time period. And uh, we would listen to it and make sure at least 51% of the album was really reggae. And then that list of sometimes as many as 60 or 70 records was sent out to the broad membership of, of the Naris, which is about, I think, 11,000 people. Mm. And the top five vote getters from the first round then became the nominees. Wow. And you were only allowed to vote in about, I think, eight ca categories, seven, eight, yeah. seven categories out of the 80 minor categories. So they were hoping that the categories you would vote in were those that you had a knowledge of mm. and experience with. But we never knew how many votes were cast. They never told us any of that information at all. It could have been a few hundred votes total in the reggae category that decided the winners. But a couple of years ago, <clears throat> after the uh, Grammys Too White <laughs> movement began to get a serious foothold, uh, they abolished the committees. And I don't know, because I've been you know out of there for 11 years, um, exactly how they determine what the initial list of, of potential nominees are. If you don't have a screening committee, who decides what's in the category. Mm -hmm. So that's a mystery to me. And once, once it gets down to the five people, you know, the, uh, the members of Naris 
which is the National Academy of Recording Arts and Sciences. The uh, the members who many work for record labels, many are musicians. You know, you have to pay your dues every year. I think it's around a hundred to a hundred fifty U.S. dollars. Mm-hmm. Then they mm-hmm. vote. So, you know, a lot of the Grammys is like a pat on the back. It's like people who, you know, want to give somebody a Grammy award. They vote for them, the people who were members, you know, of Neris. So it's not always going to be the best or most worthy record that wins. Yeah, it has nothing to do with sales, has nothing to do with quality. You know, uh-huh. and, and if, if a major no. or a label like Universal has an album on one of its subsidiary labels, they send a letter out to everybody who works for the company with a <laughs> list of Universal albums and urge them to vote for that company's albums. Whoa. And if, and if your name is Marley. Yeah, I was just about to ask you that. You're, you're I was just gonna, about. You're probably going to win. Yes. All right. Here's the story now, Stretch. <laughs> yes. Here's the story. Several years ago, I was uh, emceeing a concert at the House of Blues in Hollywood, and one of the acts that night was Eka Mouse. And I went up to the dressing room to say hi, and he he almost hit me. <laughs> he pushed me away, and he says, what's the matter with you, white boy? Why you no give me no Grammy? Like, wow. I personally, you know, awarded the Grammys. And, and he said, I, why you only give it to those white Marley boys? Mm-mm. Why you no give it to me? I'm too black, aren't I? Why you no give me no Grammy? And I calmed him down a little bit. And I said, Mouse, if you really, really want to win the Grammy, I'm going to tell you how. <coughs> Next album you put out, Change your name to Eka Marley. <laughs> and I guarantee you'll win. I, I was just going to ask that because it's like 12 years in a row or something. The Marley's won. I, I am, I, 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 I am lost for words, but now that you're telling me, you know, and, um, uh, it's all political. It's, it's all, all political. political. So I, I, I hope these guys didn't win because, uh, of, politics but anyway you know my 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 young um interviewer he's i'm sure he's itching to ask you guys some questions so i'm gonna let him go on you he's like a wolf he bites but anyway you guys are veteran in this field so i just i want i want to introduce before eh? stretch we've been bitten before (laughs) (laughs) i want to introduce you to young drew Hi guys. Hello, Hi, young Drew. It's a pleasure to see you. <laughs> you finally get a chance to talk now. Yes. I'm still I'm I'm still laughing at the Eco Marley joke. <laughs> <laughs> I said that at a seminar in Jamaica at the university and the whole place cheered. <laughs> I like that. I'll have to refer to that sometimes. Yes. Drew. The next day the Gleaner had a big article with the headline. Roger Steffen says, want to win a Grammy? Change your name to Marley. Oh God. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay, let's let's talk about um I'm a little bit uh I'm a little bit out there in the reggae and I have a few contacts and the the feedback on um Soja winning the Grammy, a lot of the guys say that um 
it's well deserved. These guys have been through the trenches. They've uh, done a lot of work. You know what I mean? And like, like, like you guys said before, like in Jamaica, they really need to wake up and get back to that roots of the reggae. Oh yeah, I think we both agree with that. I, but I, I don't think that's a, a possibility anymore. Sadly, yeah. You know, um, one one way I've often looked at this situation with reggae is like, as I was growing up and was getting into the Rolling Stones, you know, they were a blues band. So you know, I I was digging the Rolling Stones, and then I I went a little further and said, well, let me see who is this Howlin' Wolf or Muddy Waters or B.B. King, these people, Chuck Berry, mm-hmm. that they were singing about. And then I got into, you know, blues, real blues music. And, you know, maybe there's a possibility that, you know, the these young white kids who, like, are 10,000 strong at reggae festivals, you know, they're not really connecting and relating to Rastafari and, you know, even singing about ganja and weed is becoming irrelevant because mm-hmm. it's legal. So, you know, maybe the Jamaican artists need to realize that um, if they want this market and they don't have to want it, you know, if inside them, they want to sing about Ja Rastafari and that's what, you know, brings, you know, that's the spirit that drives them. That's okay, but they're not going to get big amounts of American young audiences to follow them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you guys also said that um, in Europe, reggae is very big, and that's something that's been happening for a very long time. Because uh, when you look at a lot of those festivals that you guys mentioned, they're not headlined by Jamaicans. They're headlined by European reggae artists like Gentlemen and, and Gappy Ranks and so many other guys that for us on this side of the world, these guys are like major headliners. But when they go over there, they, they have to be open and act for those guys. How do you feel about Steel Pulse opening for Revolution? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Well, the reason they do it, and I'm very, very close with Steel Pulse, is because Revolution is the only band in America that can tour the entirety of this country and play at venues that hold 5,000 people. There's Even Damian Marley can't do that. Mm. I mean, he's like huge. And so Steel Pulse sees it is an opportunity to get in front of 5,000 people every night. Mm-hmm. And again, sometimes we got to do in life what we need to do to get by. And they are on stage for many, many years is the great Errol Brown, one of the founders of the dub movement. So mm-hmm. he's giving them a real authentic roots Jamaican sound when they play live. Mm-hmm. Yeah, talking about uh, Steel Pots opening for... Uh, Revolution. I saw the tweet from um, Chronix where he said that um, Soja was one of those bands that actually took him on the road and he toured with them before he uh, actually toured with uh, any other Jamaican bands. You know, and maybe, you know, if you want to like try to be an optimist, you know, maybe, you know, when Steel Pulse plays in front of these 5,000 people, 
or Chronics plays in front of a big audience with Soja, that some of them will become fans of Steel Pulse and Soja and uh, Chronics. Yeah. So again, you know, sometimes the universe moves the way it moves, and we kind of got to just go with it. Yeah, I know that you guys said um, purchasing doesn't have much to do with uh, the selection of the winner. But when you look at uh, a lot of these albums that that's put out there, it's not supported by a lot of uh, the the fans of reggae music, like within Jamaica and within the Car- Caribbean. You know, what I mean, like uh, these, these guys like Soldier, they put out the album and they have all their fans that's supporting that album. But you get someone like uh, maybe a Chronics or Taurus Riley, they put out the album and they hardly get any sales towers that. I mean, do you even know who Stick Figure is? Nope. (laughs) Okay, that's the biggest selling reggae band in America. And you don't know who they are. Here's some names for you to consider in the Kali Roots movement. You know about Kali Roots? Yeah, I know about the Kali Roots movement. All right, Kali Roots are a bunch of young people who... uh, listen to my radio show back in the 80s and 90s when they were in grade school and then picked up the vibes and people like Doug Went in San Francisco and Lance Linares in Santa Cruz, they created a whole generation of young people who play a version of Roots music uh, from a California point of view and they include things like Common Kings, Slightly Stupid, Bad Fish, <laughs> Arise Roots, Revolution, Expendables, the Long Beach Dub All-Stars who grew out of Sublime, the Expanders, Stick Figure, Groundation, and they all owe a great tip of the cam to Blue Rhythm, the the first really great breakthrough all-white American reggae and ska band that dominated Sunsplash 82 and played again there in 1983, and people in Jamaica just were blown away by them. So it is possible that, you know, white people can, can play, you know, convincing I, roots music. I have yeah, no I problem find, with that. Yeah. That's I true. find with a lot of those bands, especially a band like uh Collie Roots and there's also J Vive. You know what I mean? They give they give a feeling the the beat that they give have a feeling of love. You know what I mean? They give you that uh, that real reggae feeling that you could just you could just wife to yeah 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 it comes down to what's in the wax <laughs> yeah <laughs> i like that <laughs> um For those of you who remember wax <laughs> that's it. Hey, let me put in a plug because he's too modest like my dear friend, <laughs> dr dread never talks about himself but i'm i'm going to do it Yes, this, you know, record store day. You know, they make special records that are only on sale uh, during uh, record store day every year in North America. Dr. Dredd is one of only two people in the history of popular music who has been allowed to remix a Bob Dylan song. Wow. The only, the only other person was Mick Ronson. And he did it originally with I and I on an album that he did called. Is it rolling, Bob? Is it rolling, Bob? Uh, you know, reggae versions of Bob Dylan's hits. And this was a, a recent record store day where he has Joker Man in, in dub and <laughs> reggae style. And wow. it is really an amazing record. And he's got this young woman on there who sounds like she's 80 years old, actually, <laughs> who introduces the dub version. Uh, 
Joker man. <laughs> what are you deal with? <laughs> and who is that? Honeybee? Yeah, Honeybee is her name. Yeah. She's you know, a young white woman who lived in Jamaica for about 14 years. Ah. Uh, old lady from, you know, Manchester. Joker man. What are you deal with? What I want to. <laughs> <laughs> I think you like the, that kind of madness, you know, uh, Roger. Well, I yeah. want to ask Doc, Doc, Dr. Dre, is um, uh, you still have a record store or not? Yeah. Well, I, I'm still involved working with reggae artists. Like I, you know, produced and remixed this Bob Dylan something. I've recently put out a record with scientists dubbing culture mm-hmm. that has a uh, metallic reflective cover by one of America's most famous artists did the artwork. Right. And then, um, believe it or not, in my, my little town where I live up in the wine country of Napa Valley, mm. I have an antique shop on Main Street that has a very ah. large vinyl room. So I'm actually selling reggae vinyl Whoa. and other vinyl as well, but you know, I've got a really strong reggae section and people who come in there, you know, I advise them and like, you know, recommend Barrington Levy or Tenor Saw, or I've got this Bob Marley and the Whalers with Uroy record I put out. So yeah, I'm still out there working reggae music. I can never leave it. Well, I, I have to commend you because, you know, a lot of people have gone on to other genre of music because they say there's no money in the reggae music. Um, does it, one of the things I want to ask you guys is, uh, does the, 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 the new wave, and I drew jump in there and help me with this question. Does the, the, um, internet and all that, you know, where people can send music over, does it affect the sale of reggae music? Because nobody wants to buy anything now except these young white kids. I remember in the early years, in the 80s and so forth, who would come in the, 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 the shop to buy records? It was the young white kids. They drove from Quebec City, Ottawa to come to Montreal to buy records. And uh, we didn't see too much of our own our young black kids hanging out there to buy records. So now are they downloading all the music? Well, stream streaming of music, mm-hmm. you know, is really providing very large revenues oh. for the record labels. So the artists themselves, you know, they don't, they don't make a lot of money through streaming, but you know, the bigger reggae, reggae record labels like VP, you know, they, they have enough catalog that streaming, you know, it adds up. So, you know, streaming is what's happening. It's how young people have decided to listen to their music. And then some hardcore people are really big into vinyl. And my vinyl room, you know, I, I just bought a thousand records here in LA. A lot of great reggae too. Wow. And, you know, it's people are interested in that you know, warm sound of the vinyl, mm-hmm. but you know, I don't, I don't really, you know, check, is it black people, white people no, buying it? No, no, no. So I'm just saying that it's vinyl is happening again, but not on the level like streaming 
music is. I heard that conversation on a radio station out in New York City a couple of weeks, a couple of months ago that vinyl is doing it again. People are asking for vinyl yeah. with the, because of the, uh, the softness of the bass line, um, rumbling on the, 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 the wax, which we, uh, one of these new albums are made of wax. Sure. Oh, yeah. good. Oh, yeah. yeah I was, st- I was still there. Some places, you know, there's so few pa- places left on earth that, that can do this work. Mm-hmm. And a yeah, lot I think, of, a lot of uh, Dr. Dredd's records are, are pressed overseas. Wow. Yeah. I heard before that there's some places in Spain and in Italy, some little communities that you go there that they just want records. Yeah. 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 I'm glad uh, Roger. Roger, I want to ask you a quick question, right? Sure, Drew. What do you think is the difference between the reggae bands that's outside of Jamaica, those that's in the U.S. and in um, Europe and even in Brazil, compared to the ones that's in that's coming out of Jamaica? What do you think is making the big difference? Well, you know, reggae is the chosen rhythm of resistance. <laughs> yeah, I love that. God, I love talking to you. <laughs> <laughs> and so if you're in Brazil, you're going to use elements of your own music to sing against the government, the downpressers, but it's always going to be to a, a reggae rhythm. And they, oh, do you know the uh, uh, the Reggae Nation book that, that just came out? Have you seen that? No. Oh, well, I got to show this to you. This is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Roger, boy. You know, folks, um, I'm talking to a real reggae historian. Look, look at the size of this thing. It weighs about 14 pounds. Wow. And it's a Dutchman named Martin Hausman. Mm. I met him when my Bob Marley, uh, <laughs> when my oral history of Bob Marley came out in Holland and it was printed in Dutch. In fact, it just came out in Chinese. It's the, the only book in Chinese wow. about Bob Marley. Wow. But this is a, a, a 10-year project, the Reggae Nation, the global legacy of Bob Marley and the Whalers. And he goes all over the world and finds Bob Marley in the most remote places on earth and how all these different indigenous peoples, the Maori in New Zealand, the aboriginals in Australia, have adapted the reggae rhythm to their own music to make protest songs. That's an incredible book, the the Reggae Nation. And it's sold out, but I think they're about to do a... A second edition of this. You know, um, Roger, I'm going to take this chance right now and jump in there. Um, I need to get you, Drew and I need to get you on air just to show us, uh, talk to us about the history of uh, reggae music and um, uh, show us a little bit of your home because I, it's a museum, I was told. And well, I, there's seven rooms, floor to ceiling. <laughs> of the history of reggae and Jamaican culture over the past My six God. years. Um, these are cabinets that I had custom made. I don't want you showing me now. Yeah. Because when I, I want to put you there, uh, um, telling us now, I want you to, to, uh, uh, what, what I need is for you to just you alone tell us the history of reggae, where it started from, et cetera, et cetera. Because a lot of people don't know themselves. They're, they're making a lot of noise about reggae. And then you're going to show us your museum that you live in. Well, there is a film that they've been making about me and the archives <laughs> mm-hmm. since 1999. 
And the denouement of the film has to be the sale of the archive to Jamaica to become a museum, the National Museum of Jamaican Oh, Music, that would be nice. Something I've been working on for 30 years. Oh, my but God. But we're close. We're, we're very close now. It all hinges on the sale of land in Montego Bay. And uh, it's owned by the government. And they they should be smart enough to know that this should have been done 30 years 30 ago. 30 years ago. But, and, you know... Uh, I would, I'm gonna, hey, I'm I'm turning 80 in June, and I'm going to fight to the day I die to get that museum built. Please do, because it, uh, our kids coming up, um, young Drew can go to Jamaica and see what the museum looks like, right, Drew? Yes, sir. Yes, and um, uh, 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 does the doc has anything similar to that? I want to visit your house when I come to California too. Absolutely, you've got a room waiting for you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and you're good. We're going to drive up there because we want to see what the, the, the doctor has up there for us. To oh, yeah. He's going to have some amazing stuff. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. You're welcome. It's, uh, I live in a town that has healing waters. It, <laughs> hey! around the world. I like that. Healing waters, boy. You can drink yeah, in it, don't. lay in it. Oh, God. And then if you want to drink a lot of good wine, we got that too. Mm. And we even got a lot of good weed up there. <laughs> oh, I can attest to that. Come, <laughs> come on up. Come on up and visit. All right. So we're we're gonna, gonna, uh, take advantage of your wonderful audience and remind them that um, my, my life's work finally came together thanks to W.W. W. Norton Publishers. Right. And this is the book. It's uh, called So Much Things to Say, The Oral History of Bob Marley. Uh. And it is interviews I've done with Bob and 75 of the people closest to him, almost all of them Jamaicans. Oh. And uh, Kwame Dawes, you know, the yes. great yes. Canadian Jamaican poet and professor <laughs> and actor, gave me a beautiful blurb for the book. He said, um, all true Gospels are shaped by the accounts of eyewitnesses. Roger Steffens has collected these accounts and given us a book of truths mm -hmm. complicated by the bending of memory, motive, and mystery. Damn. The effect is a fresh and renewed affirmation of Marley's genius, humanity, and mystique. Mm. This book the triumph of the storytelling virtuosity of Jamaican people and a uh, testament to the care and glorious obsessions of yours truly. Yes, <laughs> we have to do some Jamaicans. more. It's not Timothy White making up conversations in the bedroom between Rita and Bob and all the other <laughs> nonsense. In that I know. This is this is factual. This is based on people who were in the room when these things happened. Good. And there are over 700 Bob Marley books now. 700. And Can I ask this, a question? Well, wait, when, yeah. when this book came out uh, recently in paperback version, uh, Rolling Stone headlined the review, this might be the best Bob Marley book ever. So, it is. It is the best Bob Marley book ever. Would, uh, and Dr. Dredd say so. <laughs> yes, Dr. Dredd. Listen, we have a, a, a five minutes to go. But listen, I want to know... What, what, you've been around Bob Marley for years. You went on tour with him, et cetera, et cetera. What do you think he would be saying now that we're having this conversation about the Grammy, not a, a um, awarding a white man in, in, in comparison to giving it to 
a black group that are whatever. What do you think I Bob would say? I think he would say it's just proof that this wor uh, the world's people, wherever they come from, recognize the awesome power of job music, and I think it would make him very, very happy. I think so, too. It's like he talked about, uh, uh, what's his name, uh, Clapton covering I Shot the I Sheriff. I Shot the Sheriff, Opening yeah. up the world to Bob. <laughs> That was a major factor in Bob's success. And, and he, he liked it. He never had anything against uh, Clapton for doing that. No. I, I think he'd be very happy. And he and Peter would be very happy to see Herb legalized. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Uh, Peter was begging for that. Any famous last words, Drew? We got to wrap up this thing. Well, I, I got to I gotta say what I, what I realized throughout my uh, little life so far, you know what I mean, is that people of the Caribbean, if it comes to so-called reggae, we, we love it. But I don't think we, we show it the true appreciation, you know what I mean, that it deserves. Because when you get people from other cultures like you guys, you guys dig down into the roots. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And I think that's the difference between a lot of the bands now is that they dig down in the roots and they start from the foundation and they come all the way up. Like you guys know so much history. You know all the bands, the bands that's out there. You know what I mean? You could, you could, you could start a conversation and talk about a Bob Marley tour and say that what, what day he did this, where, what city it was in, the, mm -hmm. the time of the day. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So I find that you guys dig really deep down mm -hmm. into the roots. Mm -hmm. And I find that's, that's a big difference when mm -hmm. it comes to this kind of stuff. I've done seven books on reggae so far. And yep. the two most important uh, for the ages are my oral history, of course. And this discography, which we did in conjunction with Bunny Whaler, uh, Leroy Jody Pearson and I spent three weeks locked in a hotel room in 1990 with, with Bunny. And we played every single song the Whalers had ever recorded. Mm. And we got the full, full information on, on everything and 12 pages of color images of every one of the singles they've done, Bunny, Bob and Peter and all the information that a true collegiate course needs in a discography. This is the only discography ever done for a Jamaican artist. And it tells you the singers, the players of instruments and what they played the engineer's name, the producer's name, the number of tracks on the master tape <laughs> from those days, the studio, and um, most importantly, the matrix numbers in the wax between the end of the song and the beginning of the record label. And those tell you which take on the master tape was used to press that particular record. Yeah. And we have the date of each session, And uh, the year, of course, and uh, it's still available. This is uh, Bob Marley and the Whalers, the definitive discography, and it'll answer any questions you have about every song they ever made. All right. So that's, um, that's my contribution to the history of reggae music, and it's going to be all put together in a museum so that Jamaicans will learn how far their culture has penetrated to the world at large. Jamaicans are so naive about that. I know, because... No They don't seem to understand that reggae music is what is bringing a lot of money to Jamaica at the moment, the name Jamaica, because of the fact that um, Alumina, Sugarcane, and what have you, has all gone through the wind. Now reggae is like, uh, 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 I'll say Usain Bolt. That's what's bringing the money right yeah. now to our island. I have one minute to go. 
Can you guys give me some duck? Wake up, man. I'm awake. Am I I'm boring here. you? No, man. It's oh, all right. <laughs> just just pulling your legs. But um, any famous last words <laughs> until we meet again, because we're going to do this again. But it will all be about the museum in which you guys live in. And I just want to, um, you know, whatever. What is your last words that you would tell us about what happened at the Grammys? Well, all I would say is keep supporting Jamaica mm -hmm. and keep supporting reggae music. Mm -hmm. And, you know, get out there and show your love of reggae by supporting Jamaican artists. I love that. And keep to the roots. Keep don't to the roots. the roots. We don't need slackness. We don't need cocaine music. We don't need gunmen being praised. Oh, None Jesus. of this don't touch the president bull. We need conscious Highly uplifting music. That's what Bob always said. Bob Marley. Think Bob Marley. Yes. Drew, anything I you want to say to them? Say what? Drew. I'm good. I'm good. I'm listening. I'm listening. He said what he had to say. I like that. You're learning something from the vets. That's it. Yeah. We're coming back. We're coming back for you, Drew. <laughs> no problem. I'll be ready when you get back. All right. <laughs> Thanks for sharing this with us, Drew. Uh, it's nice to make your acquaintance. I hope someday to show you the archives. Yes. No problem, sir. I yes. hope to see it also. Good. Um, because I want you guys to learn about the culture of the islands of the Caribbean because it's rich. And these two guys has done their share. And like as uh, Roger was saying, it's about time the government get involved in Jamaica and bring that museum to Jamaica so that we can take a plane or with my grandsons. I have two beautiful grandsons. I'll take them and say, come and see what and hear what and hear who did what. Because um, they all know Bob, but I want them to hear who did what in Jamaica. What? I just had a two-month-long exhibition of my archives in Guangzhou, South Korea. <laughs> <laughs> where they had an uprising against the dictatorship in 1980, and they had dozens of people murdered by the army, but eventually they overthrew the government. And it coincided with Bob Marley's uprising tour. 100,000 people jammed the streets of Guangzhou a few weeks before 100,000 people went to Bob Marley's biggest concert ever in uh, the San Siro Soccer Stadium in Milan. And that was part of his uprising tour. So this was an amazing exhibition. And there's stuff up on YouTube where you can see my introduction. The theme of this huge biennial was dub music. And 150,000 people came during the months of September and October to see my collection. And wow. also material from Sedella Marley at uh, the Marley Estate. All right. Thank you, guys, extremely, very much. Um, we have opened a little bit of the door in, 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 if not in the fall, just before the fall, I would love, we would love to have you guys back. All right. That'd be fun. All right, doc. So thank me. Thank you. Hey, guys. And Roger, um, all the best for those of you. One love, Drew, one love stretch. All Say right. hell, hello to all my friends up there, Richard LaFrance and all my friends in Montreal. I miss you. I will. I will. I hope we can put back the reggae fest so you guys can come up. 
All right. So have a the one love. One love. All right. Take care.